I pray that you would uh, help my mind to be clear, help me to just get the points across that need to be said, and Lord, I pray that you would just help me to step aside and to say the things that you want me to say, and, and to be able to help those that have came here tonight. We love you, Lord, so much in your precious name. I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 16, and we read there that story. And I just really want to, you know, it's a pretty straightforward story, but I just want to look at a few things and just make note of a few of the things that are mentioned in this story uh, and try to make application, because I think it can help us. If you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. If you remember, if you've been with us as we've been preaching through Genesis, or you've read through the book of Genesis, or you just have a basic knowledge of the Old Testament, you remember that God promised Abraham, and God promised Sarah, or Sarai at this time, a, a, a son. That son is going to be named Isaac. And God, the Bible calls him the son of promise, because it's a promise, it's a covenant that God made with Abram that he was going to give him the son. And Sarai comes to Abraham here, if you're, and if you remember this, and I don't want to repreach it, but this is something that's very important to Abraham. If you remember in uh, chapter 15, last Sunday night, we were preaching about how God came to Abram after, well, you know, it all goes together. In chapter 14, if you remember, Abram rejected the riches of Sodom, and he told the king of Sodom, I don't want your riches, I don't want your reward. He said, I I want the reward that comes that only God can give me. In chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and said, hey, Abraham, I'm proud of you. I'm glad that you rejected the riches of Sodom. I'm glad that you rejected the riches of this world. He said, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward in Genesis 15.1. And if you remember in 15.2, and Abram said, Lord, God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? So Abram, what he wanted from God, see, he could have got the riches from the world, but he didn't want the riches from the world. He wanted what only God could give him. And for Abram, that was a son. And, and Abram and Sarah really wanted a son. And I mean, if you, if, if you could imagine being someone who never had a child and always wanted a child. And they were getting up in, in age here, and they were getting to a place where they, they didn't have children. And Sarah, she began to... Uh, have a lapse in faith. And she said in verse 1 of chapter number 16, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Now, again, you know, if you remember from previous sermons, you know, they should have never had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar, because he should have never gone down to Egypt. You know, when they went down to Egypt is when they probably picked up Hagar, and when he went down to Egypt is when they exposed lots to uh, the world, and which we've preached all about this already, but then Lot looked at Sodom and said it's like the land of Egypt, and he chose the well-watered plains of Sodom because they were like the land of Egypt. How do you know they were like the land of Egypt? Because Abraham took him down to Egypt. And really this trip to Egypt messed up a lot of things. But they had this handmaid, and if you look at verse 2, it's very interesting to me. As I was studying for this sermon, this phrase jumped out to me. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, look what she says. She says, The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. She said, The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Now God promised Abraham a son. And God promised Abraham a son through his wife Sarah. And 
She knew that God had made this promise. She knew that God was going to deliver on this promise. But she also knew that up to this point, God hadn't given them the son and that it was God who was stopping them. She was able to identify the fact that God restrained. God, that, that word restrain there means to hold back. That, that means, you know, when I think of restraining somebody, I think of, of, of holding somebody back or maybe tying somebody up so that they can't do something. And, and Sarah and Abraham wanted a son and she was able to identify and I I believe correctly when she said, The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. But then notice what she says. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain a cho- obtain children. And look look at the last two words of that sentence. That it may it may be that I may obtain children by the say the Lord. It says by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now and the sermon tonight is not very long, and it's not very deep, it's just a, a, a basic thought. But I want to preach on this, on, on this is the title of the sermon, this is the subject, When the Lord Restrains. When the Lord Restrains. Because Sarah was able to understand, and she was able to identify, she was able to say, look, God promised us a son, and God is the one who has restrained us from having a son up to this point. But instead of Sarah saying, I'm going to trust God. Instead of Sarah saying, I'm going to believe God. Instead of Sarah saying, I understand that I'm getting older. I understand, like the Bible says in the New Testament, that her womb was dead. It couldn't provide life. I understand that, you know, the, t- the age of giving birth has already surpassed me. The age of giving birth for my, uh, for, for my husband is getting away from him. Even though God is the one who's restrained me from having this son, and she should have just said, well, I'm going to trust God. Well, I'm going to believe God. Well, I'm going to let God do what He wants to do. She said, I'm going to take things into my own hands. And she said, I'm going to get a child. If I don't get it from God, then I'm going to get it by her. You know, sometimes God chooses to hold things back from us. Sometimes God chooses to restrain things back from us. Sometimes God chooses to open doors, and sometimes God chooses to close doors. Go go with me real quick to the book of Revelation, chapter number 3. Keep your finger there in Genesis 16, because we're going to be coming back to it. But look at Revelation, chapter number 3, and look at verse 7. Revelation, chapter number 3, and verse 7. I'm not going to preach very long tonight. I'm going to try to get you out of here early, because we're having church on Tuesday night, we're having church on Wednesday night, we're not counting Wednesday night service, and uh, we're, we're, you know, we're having our regular Sunday services, so I don't want to get you, you know, too tired or anything, and I understand you got work tomorrow and all that too, but, so we won't be long, I just want you to get this point, if you're there in Revelation chapter number 3, look at verse 7, the Bible says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, now that he is referring to God, to Jesus, it says, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and he that shutteth and no man openeth. Now the Bible says, if Jesus Christ opens a door, no man can shut that door. And if Jesus Christ shuts a door, no man can open that door. He says in verse 8, I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. You know, when we feel that God is restraining us, or stopping us, we we got to learn how to deal with that. Because the thing is, if God decides, you know, and in this case, the example here is that the, a son that they were getting. You know, maybe that's not the example in your life. But we will all get...
get to a point in our lives when we've got a choice to make. When, we, when we've got to decide if God is leading in a certain way. You know, it might be with a job. It might be with where you live. It might be with where you go to church. It might be with having children. It might be with, you know, uh, doing certain types. You know, it might be going to full-time ministry. It might be into just any, you know, really any decision that you've got. You, you might be faced with something and you might think to yourself, well, I believe God wants this for me, but it seems as though He's shutting the door right now. Or it seems as though as He's restraining us right now. It seems as though He's just slowing us down or He's wanting us to stop. And, and most of us as humans are, you know, just nature is to just try to, you know, He shuts the door and we're trying to open the, the window or something. You know, we're just trying to get through. And really that's what Sarah, Sarah was saying, you know, the, the point is that I want the Son and I, I want to get that Son whether God gives it to me or not. I'm going to do what I've got to do to get it. But the thing is, what you got to understand is this. When God opens the door, no man can shut it. And when He shuts the door, no one's going to be able to open it. So what should you do? What should Sarah have done? Instead of saying, well, here's my handmaid, you know, Hagar. Marry her and go sleep with her and see what happens. Really, she should have just waited. Go with me to Exodus chapter number 14. I'll, I'll show you a few examples of this. Exodus chapter number 14 and look at verse 13. Exodus, chapter number 14 and verse 13 in the Old Testament. Exodus, chapter number 14 and verse 13. Exodus 14, the context there, we have the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt, and they're pretty much just got, they got to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is following behind them, and they really just don't know what to do. They think Moses brought them out to kill them. They're saying because there was no graves in Egypt that he brought us out here. They're complaining and bickering against Moses. They're complaining and bickering against God. They, they, they seem, they look like they're between, you know, a rock and a hard place. They've got the Red Sea on one side, and then they've got the Egyptian army coming after them. And if you look at Exodus 14, 13, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, He said, Fear ye not. And look what he says, it's very interesting. He says, Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which He shall show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And if you know the story, you know that Moses took his rod and put it out, and God spread you know, the Red Sea there, and they were able to cross across the Red Sea through dry ground, is what the Bible says, and they were able to go through that. But look, when they got to that place where they just didn't know what to do, and they didn't really want to wait, they were just kind of, they had no option, they had to wait, but they were just complaining, they were bickering, they were fighting, they were getting, you know, they were, they were getting upset. And what Moses said to them is, he said, hey, just stand still. He said, just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I love that verse. The Bible uses this term often. You probably read it if you read your Bible. The Bible uses this term often. It says, wait upon the Lord. Let me read a verse where you don't have to turn there. Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse 31. The Bible says this, but, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know the Bible says that you ought to wait upon the Lord. When you get to the place where you don't really know what to do, you ought to wait upon the Lord. When you get to the place where you're not sure, hey, what's going to happen? I'm here at the Red Sea. I've got the Egyptian army coming after me. You know what you should do is just wait upon the Lord. Say, should I get angry? Should I start making plans to try to figure this out on my own, Sarah? Should I try to start, you know, devising a plan to be able to get this done with or without God, Sarah? No, and the answer is, you should just wait. Now, I was thinking about this word wait, and you say, well, you know, 
what does this word wait mean? I looked it up in the dictionary, and I'm going to show you some verses here in a little bit to back up with the, you know, we don't put the dictionary on a pedestal at our church. Obviously, the Bible is, is uh, the authority, but I'm going to show you some verses to back up what the dictionary says, because, you know, the dictionary was right, according to the Bible. Uh, but let me give you the definition for the word wait. I'll read it for a few. One of, the, one of the definitions for the word wait in the dictionary was this. To remain inactive or in a state of uh, repose as until ex- uh, something uh, expected happens. And that's usually what we would consider uh, wait. If you tell your son, you know, wait till I, whatever. You know, you're just telling him, stand, stand there. You know, remain inactive. And that's really what we would think of wait. To remain inactive. But here's another definition. To be available or in readiness. Here's an example they gave. A letter is waiting for you. So wait, when God says wait upon the Lord, He's not just saying, you know, remain inactive. Although sometimes we should remain inactive. Sometimes we act. And sometimes we, we go forward with something. And sometimes we try to proceed with something when God is restraining us. And when God says you ought to wait, yes, maybe it means to remain inactive. But at the same time, it means to be ready. It doesn't mean you just, you know, slack off. It doesn't mean you just sit there. It doesn't mean you just... He, he wants you to be ready. He wants you to be available. He wants you to be ready to go. But not only that, there's an additional definition to the word wait. And it's an archaic, according to the dictionary, it's an archaic definition. I don't really see why it's archaic. But here's, here's another definition. To attend upon. To attend upon. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, think about this. When you go to a restaurant, somebody comes out and serves you. What are those people called? A waiter. They're waiting on you. Now, when a waiter comes to wait on you, does he come to your, uh, to your uh, table there and he just waits till you leave? That's not what a waiter does, right? At least he's not going to earn a tip. What a waiter is supposed to do is what? Serve you. He's supposed to bring you your drink. He's supposed to ask you what you'd like. He's supposed to... You know, and I believe when God makes a statement all over the Bible to wait upon the Lord, He's not just saying to, you know, remain inactive. Although that sometimes would be a good thing. He's not just saying to be available and ready, although you should always be available and ready. I think He's asking you to actually wait upon the Lord like a waiter would wait or would serve upon a customer at a restaurant. You say, well, prove that from the Bible. Let me read some verses for you. Numbers chapter number 3 and verse 10. You can turn there if you'd like. If not, it's fine. I'm going to read it for you. Numbers chapter number 3 and verse 10 says this, And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office, and the strangers that cometh nigh shall be put to death. So he says, look, you're going to pick a couple priests here from Aaron and his sons, and he says they're going to wait on their priest's office. Was he saying that they're going to just stand still and not do anything? No. He's saying they're going to work what? They're going to, they're going to serve what? In their office. As a priest. Numbers chapter number 8 and verse 24 says this. It says, This is that belongeth unto the Levites, from twenty and five years old and upward, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So he says, hey, these Levites, they're supposed to go in and wait. Are they, are they waiting for you to be done? No, they're not just standing there. They're waiting. When he says waiting, he's using the same terminology that we would use as a waiter. He's saying they're supposed to be serving. And he even says, they shall go in to wait upon the service. Comes from the same word, you know, as serving. Of the tabernacle of the congregation. Psalm 123.2 says this. This is very interesting. Psalm 123 and verse 2 says this. Behold, as the eyes of a servant 
look upon the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of, their, of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God, until that He have mercy upon us. So in Psalm 123.2, He even gives the example of a servant. He says, hey, in the same way that the eyes of a servant look to their master, ready to serve, ready to deliver, ready to bring them whatever they need. He said, as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, same idea, a servant waiting on their master. He says, so our eyes wait, serve upon the Lord our God until that He have mercy on us. You know, why would God in Isaiah say, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I mean, if you're just waiting on the Lord and just remaining inactive and doing nothing, why would God have to give you this strength? Why would God have to give, you know, say that you're going to be able to run and not be weary? Why would God say you're going to be able to walk and not faint? Why would God say you're going to be able uh, to renew your strength and, and mount up with wings as eagles? He's not saying, you know, wait as in just stand there, because you're not going to need strength to just stand there. You're not going to be strength to remain inactive. He's saying wait like serve God. And when you serve God, and when you serve on God, like a waiter does, you know, someone at a restaurant, he's saying, hey, you're going to be able to renew your strength. You're going to be able to mount up with wings as eagles. You're going to be able to run and not be weary. You're going to be able to walk and not faint. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Sometimes in life, you're going to get to the place where you're just not sure what to do. Sometimes you're going to get to the place like Sarah did, where she got to the place in life where she thought to herself, you know, I know God said He was going to give me a child, but I just don't see it happening. Sometimes you can get to a place where, like the children of Israel, when they got to the Red Sea, and they saw the Egyptians coming, and they said, this doesn't look good. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. And at that time, God says to wait upon the Lord. But you say, well, what am I supposed to do when I don't know what to do? And I'm just going to stand still, and I'm just going to let God take care of it, and I'm going to wait on the Lord. What am I supposed to do while I wait? Here's what you're supposed to do. Wait. Say, what do you mean? Wait on the Lord while you wait. What am I saying? While you know, just don't remain inactive. Just don't say, well, I've got this situation coming up. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just going to leave church. I'm just going to stop reading the Bible. I'm just going to stop praying. I'm just going to get away from God because I'm just going to wait on the Lord. No. He says, while you're waiting, wait on the Lord. While you're waiting, serve God. While you're waiting, get to work. He says, if you don't know what to do, here's what you can do. Read your Bible. If you don't know what to do, here's what you can do. Pray. If you don't know what to do, Sarah, instead of trying to devise plans, to get your own child. He said, why don't you just get closer to God? Why don't you just serve God a little more? Why don't you just do a little more for God? And while you're waiting on God, just go ahead and start waiting for God. Waiting on God. Why don't you earn that tip you're going to uh, get at the uh, judgment seat of Christ and wait on the Lord. And that's really what Sarah should have been doing. When the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, you ought not be trying to figure out how you can bear. You ought to be figuring out how you can wait on the Lord. Say, being inactive? No, I'm talking about attending to the Lord. Jesus Christ said, when you attend to those Christians around you, you're doing it as it were to your father. Jesus Christ said, if you give somebody water to drink, it's like you're giving me something to drink. He said, when you're being kind to somebody, when you're helping somebody, when you're giving the gospel to somebody, when you're serving somebody, you say, why are you preaching so much about serving? 
You know, and, and, and I, I will admit to you, though, it seems like the last three or four sermons I've preached, I've dealt a lot with the subject of serving. And I'll be honest with you, you know, two out of the three sermons, it's not my text that I'm picking. You know, it's just the Bible, it's just the next, uh, the next passage of Scripture. And I don't know, I guess the Holy Spirit of God just really wants us to learn the subject of serving others. And while you're waiting on God, wait on God also. While you're waiting on the Lord, in time-wise, also wait on Him with some service. And then the Bible says that you'll be able to renew your strength. But what happens when you, when the Lord restrains you and you proceed anyway? Well, look at verse 3. When the Lord restrains and you proceed, Sarah, you're going to mess up relationships, Abraham. Look at verse 3. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my mate unto thy bosom. And when she, was, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Now let me make sure you don't just read through that and... and, and because I don't know how many times I've read this. And I don't know how many times I've heard preaching on this, and, I, and this is what I've heard. And it's not necessarily wrong, but you've got to pick up on what it's saying. You know, usually when you hear somebody mention the story, like in a preaching service or something, they'll say something like this. You know, Sarah and Abraham didn't trust God. And they brought Hagar in, and Hagar conceived. And as soon as Hagar conceived, Sarah got jealous and started, you know, hating on Hagar. But that's not what the Bible says. If you look at what it says... It says that she gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she, and she, Hagar, conceived. And when she, Hagar, saw that she, Hagar, had conceived, her, who's that her referring to? Hagar. Mistress, who's a mistress? Sarah. Said her mistress was despised in her, Hagar's eyes. So, you know, we preach this and we'll get on Sarah and say, well, Sarah told Abram to conceive with Hagar. And as soon as Hagar conceived, Sarah got jealous and said, oh. But really, if you look at what it says, what happened was, when Hagar conceived, all of a sudden, she got a big head and she thought, well, I'm going to have Abram's son. And the Bible says that her, Hagar, despised Sarah in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, look what it says, I, this is Sarah speaking, I, Sarah, was despised in her, Hagar's eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. See, the problem is, when you start, when you don't listen to God, when God restrains and you just proceed, when God restrains and you just go forward, when God restrains, you know, when God says, hey, and you know it's God speaking to you, and you say, and He tells you through His Bible, or He just, your Holy Spirit moves in your heart, and He says, hey, I don't want you doing that. Maybe you're coming up to a big decision in life. Maybe you've got to decide something, and God says, and you know it's God speaking, and then He's saying, I don't want you to do that. I'm restraining you from that. I'm shutting that door. But we just decide, well, I'm just going to do it anyway, because that's what I want to do. Well, I'm just going to do it anyway, because that's what I want. You mess things up. You mess up relationships. See, God promised a child to Abram and Sarah. Not to Abram and Hagar. And because of their impatience, they made things happen. You know, they forced the hand of God, for lack of better words. But the child that they provided, not the child that God provided is not going to bring them joy. See, after Hagar sees that she conceives of Abram's seed, she gets puffed up. Because she thinks, 
Well, Sarah couldn't, couldn't give Abram any children. And look, I gave him a son. And then she starts despising Sarah. See, and, 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 and really, you know, in, in our marriages, we need to be very careful to allow... You know, and obviously there's uh, an extreme case. I mean, they actually... Abraham married Hagar and had a child with her. But, you know, we need to be very careful not to allow relationships um, to enter within the relationship of our marriage. I remember uh, just a few weeks ago, I had a call. Well, actually, Jovita, who comes here on Sunday mornings, very faithful, she asked me if I would go meet with uh, one of her co-workers and, and her co-worker's husband uh, because they were having problems and needed to, they, they weren't saved, and she wanted me to give him the gospel and kind of go talk to him. And I gave him the gospel, and she got saved. Um, the lady got saved, I was talking to the husband. And one of the biggest problems they had was this. The lady, she felt like her husband would always just allow his parents to just, you know, become more important in their relationship. And that was really hurting. You know, the Bible says when you're going to get, when you get married, you know, you're going to leave mother and father and cleave unto your wife. But when you allow anyone, you know, your parents, you know, any relationship to come between that relationship of a husband and wife, it's not a healthy thing. It's never a healthy thing. And Hagar was allowed to do that and she got puffed up and she was then, when she was supposed to be serving the mistress, she was actually despising her. But because of these actions, I mean, you got to think about this. Put yourself in these shoes. Because of these actions, Hagar now has an eternal connection with Abram outside of his marriage. You understand that? You know, one day God is going to perform a beautiful miracle where He's going to give Sarah a son. But you know... It takes away from the miracle. It takes away from the joy. You know, I mean, if you think of Abram, you know, a hundred years old. Sarah, ninety years old. And they give, they, their whole lives they've been married together. The whole lives they've been faithful. The whole lives they've, they've loved each other. The whole lives, God, you know, for a while now, God has been promising them for decades that He's going to give them a son. And eventually, at the right time, He gives them a son. And they have that miracle child, that promised child. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And that's a beautiful picture of the, of, of the gospel and salvation. But it takes away from it, just a little bit, when you got... A small child, Ishmael, running around in the background, who also is Abram's son. Does that, you understand what I'm saying? You know, it takes away from God's glory, because one day God is going to give Isaac a son, and one day God is going to give Sarah a son, and one day God is going to quit restraining and go ahead and proceed in God's timing. But when we decide to just press on through... When the Bible clearly gives us commandments, when the Bible, when God's word clearly told Sarah, "This is what's going to happen, Abraham. This is what's going to happen," but we decide, no, I want to do it my way. I want to get it done now. I don't want to wait on the Lord. We take away when God finally does that thing that He's going to do. We take away from the joy of it because now we have Ishmael, and now it's just not as nice. Now it's just not as beautiful. And I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever done this. If you've ever read through the Bible, which if you haven't, I you know, would challenge you to do that. But you know, I, I, I feel this, you know, my wife and I have talked about this. When you get in those books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, and you're reading about David. You know, David becomes your hero. And you're just loving David. And I mean, he's slaying Goliath, and he's doing all sorts of adventures. He's doing all sorts of great things. And you just love David, and you're just into it, and you're just reading about him. And you can't put the Bible down, you love it. But you know, when he commits adultery, and just right after there, you know, once everything's not going downhill, you know, as you, as you end the story of David, he dies as an old man, I'm always just left with this dark, you know, it's like, I still love David, he's still great, you know, he's still a great patriarch, and he's a, a hero of the faith, but you just end the story without the joy when you start. And it's really the same thing here. 
You know, if David would have just waited on the Lord, if David would have just done it God's way, if David would have not pressed forward when God was restraining him back, he would have ended a lot better. And, and the miracle of Abraham with Isaac would have been a lot sweeter if there wasn't an Ishmael running around. But when the Lord restrains and you proceed, not only do you hurt and mess up relationships, but there's also consequences. Look at verse 6, Genesis chapter number 16 and verse 6. See, what you have to understand is that God is still and always will be bound by His Word. Look at Genesis 16, 16. 16.6, I'm sorry. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is, thy, is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai had dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's, Sarai's maid, Whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Look what he says, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. Now doesn't, does that sound close to something we've studied before in the book of Genesis, the Abrahamic covenant? Didn't God tell Abraham that he was going to give him a son, who was, and he was going to multiply his seed exceedingly? Now, was that son Ishmael? No, it was not. That promise was given to Isaac. But here's the thing. God gave his word that Abraham's seed will have a people, and it will multiply, and it will be exceeding, it will be great. So when Abraham goes out of bounds and has a son with Hagar... God is still bound by His Word. And He still allows him to have Isaac. He still allows Isaac to have many descendants. He still allows Isaac to have this, you know, uh, Abraham's has descendants as the, as the stars of heaven and as the sand of sea. But at the same time, God gives the same promise to Ishmael. Because God is bound by His Word. When you mess up, and when we mess up, and when we do it our way, and when we bring this other child, Ishmael, God is still bound by His Word. And God said, Abraham, I, was, I said I was going to multiply your seed, so when it's Isaac, I'm going to multiply, and when it's Ishmael, I'm going to multiply. Because there's consequences to the things we do when we go, when we press forward, when God is trying to hold us back. Say, well, what's the big deal? What does it matter? That Ishmael became a great nation also. Well, here's the big deal. Look at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And look what it says. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now, you know, who knows who, who today... Today, the descendants, the physical descendants of Isaac are, who knows? Brother Hudson, I'm sure, knows. The Jews. Who are the descendants of Ishmael today? The Arabs. What we consider today Muslims. All the, you say, all these Muslim nations, all over the world. You know, I, I, somebody was telling me recently, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. And all these Islamic people, you know, you hear so much about in the news, these terrorists and these people flying planes, blowing up buses and doing all this stuff, are direct descendants of Ishmael. When God said, I'm going to multiply Ishmael, He did. And He gave this... Now, now, now you know, think, read this verse and think of, you know, radical fundamentalist Islam and all their terrorists. Think of jihad and think of Osama bin Laden and think of, uh, you know... Um, 
on these other people. And read Genesis 16.12. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. I mean, doesn't that... If you, have to pick a, if you have to pick a life verse for Islam, wouldn't that be it? I mean, that just fits perfectly. And you know, the thing is, you say, well, what's the big deal that Ishmael also got the promise? Well, the big deal is that Abraham reaped the rewards then, but we're still reaping the rewards now. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but Islam is not a nice religion. Islam is not doing a lot of good, you know... Besides what the media wants to say and what the liberal media wants to say, Islam is not doing a whole lot of good for the world, you know. You say, well, I think they're good. Okay, go live in uh, Indonesia. Go to Pakistan. Go to Iran. Go to Iraq. Go to Afghanistan. Go to Sudan or, or Syria. Go to these nations where Islam prevails. Go to the nations where Islam is in control and where they follow the, 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 the laws of Islam. And you're going to find a nation that is enslaved, a nation that is in poverty, a nation that does not have the, the, the blessings of God. They have the judgment of God. And those people are depressed. Those people are going to die and go to hell. Those people are living in ruins. I mean, they're, they're not free like we're free in America. They're not, you know, having this great life. Islam is not a great thing. It's not a good thing that happened to the world. But it happened because think about this. One woman, and no offense to the women, but that's just a story. One woman got impatient about a promise that God gave them. And she talked her husband into committing adultery. They had a son and they gave us the great and wonderful religion of Islam that is now being reaped by us today. September 11th. And all those things. See, we have to learn to wait upon the Lord. God gives us clear instructions. My wife took my son to the park today, in between church. I was doing some work. And she came back and she told me a story. She was, she was, there was some ladies sitting next to her and they were talking. There were Christian ladies. She knew one of them, one of our neighbors here. She was talking to them a little bit. And, um, there was this lady, she was getting advice from this other lady. And she was just, you know, she could overhear them because they were at the, on the other bench. And this lady was 30 years old. And she had, she was a grandmother. Now think about this. She's a grandmother and she's 30 years old. So well, how does that work? Well, here's how it works. She got pregnant when she was 15. And her daughter got pregnant when she was 15. And you can have a 30-year-old mother. No, no, you got to think about this. A lot of 30-year-olds are having their first child, you know, or second child. This lady's having a, grand, a granddaughter. And look, there's nothing, you know, obviously there's nothing, you know, wrong with having children and all those things. But see... It's just, I was studying for this sermon, and my wife came back and told me a story. You know, she was talking to this lady, and this lady was just saying, you know, I need help, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, whatever. But you know, you say, well, how did that happen? And obviously, if that lady came to this church, we'd love her, and we'd care for her, and we'd, t- you know, we'd, we'd, we'd try to help her, and, and, and bless God if she's trying to do it right now. Hey, praise the Lord. But you know how something like that happens? Here's what happens. God gives us clear definitions in the Bible. God says, get married then have children. But our world decides, you know what? You know, our society, you send your kids to public school, and they're not going to teach your kids like the Bible is going to teach your kids. Get married, then have, you know, a physical relationship with your spouse under the blessing of God. They're going to teach your kids, well, just have the physical relationship, but just try to do it, you know, safely. But here's what happened is, God restrains. God says, no, 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 I want you to do it in this order. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, you start off at your parents' house, you don't leave your parents' house. You know, you date when you're ready to marry. You know, what does that mean? That means you don't start dating when you're 13. Because I've never met a 13-year-old who's ready to marry. You start dating when you're ready to marry. Because the purpose of dating is not to go out and have fun and, and, and 
have a bunch of sex. The purpose of dating is to find a spouse for you to marry. So you date when you're ready to marry. And then when you find a spouse to get married, then you have a physical relationship. Then you have the blessing of God, which is children. And then you have you know, a beautiful home, beautiful family. But when you, we choose to take God's restraint and we say, like Sarah, we're going to proceed against what God has told us in His Word, then you end up being 30 years old, having, you know, being a grandmother. Because you were 15 when you got pregnant, and your daughter was 15 when she got pregnant. You know, you're saying, do you hate those people? Look, I don't hate those people. I don't hate anybody. I love those people. That's why I'm trying to preach. That's why I'm preaching the Bible. Because some people make mistakes. Hey, that's fine. You know, ask God to forgive you and move on. But we still have a generation of young kids. We've got kids in this church, and I've got my kids. And we've got to teach them, and try to help them. And we've got to try to teach them from the Bible, and say, hey, when God restrains, when God holds back, don't press forward. You're going to mess things up. You know, when we mess up relationships, and we mess up friendships, and we mess up, you know, our kids, and, and, we, and we're not able to teach them right. And that's just one example. I mean, I mean, you can apply that to hundreds of examples. And we've got to learn to let God restrain us. We've got to learn to let God hold us back till the right time. Am I saying that you shouldn't get married? Hey, there's a right time to get married. You know, I, I've known many... Many people, they're, they're dating so-and-so. I, I'm thinking of somebody right now. They're dating and getting engaged to the wrong person. You say, how can you say it's the wrong person? Look, I can say it's the wrong person based on this Bible. I know it's the wrong person. Because the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And if one of them is saved and the other one's not saved, it's the wrong person. I don't need to be, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't need to know any. I just need to know the Bible. That's it. You know, so I, you know, but see, God gives us faith. But here's what they say. Well, I love them. Well, I, I care about them. Well, I, and here's what people think. Don't you think God would make an exception for me? Here's the thing. God is bound by His Word. He didn't make an exception for Abraham. Do you think He's going to make an exception for you? You know, I know somebody right now. They're going through a divorce. They're not even divorced. And they're already dating. And they're wanting to get married. And here's their excuse. Well, it's another Christian. Well, look, does the Bible say you ought to marry when you're divorced? No, it does not. You know what you're going to do? You're going to mess up relationships. You're going to risk... God is restraining. And you're just thinking, well... And here's what, here's what the person said. They said, well, the thing is, that's fine for everybody else. But I can't do that. It doesn't work for me. Well, look, God didn't make an exception for Abraham. God didn't make an exception for Moses. You know, God didn't let Moses go into the wilderness, into the promised land after God restrained him and God said, Hey, Moses, I want you to do these certain actions. And Moses sinned against God and he disobeyed God. And then God said, You know what, Moses? No exceptions. You can't go into the promised land. God is bound by His Word. And when God restrains... And I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not trying to pick on you. I hope nobody feels like that. I'm just trying to explain to you. When God restrains, when you come to God and say, God, I need to know what to do in this situation... Whatever it may be. And you go to the Bible and God tells you, here's what you're supposed to do. You better take heed to it. Because when we press forward with our plan, we mess up relationships. And there's always consequences to that. And you say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It, it, it only ruined Abraham and, and Sarah's relationship because they had this child running around that didn't belong to Sarah. But it didn't. It messed all of us up. Because now we're reaping the benefits of Islam. And there's a, there's a bigger picture to all of it. You know, sometimes we feel like God is restraining us. and we're about, Why is God holding us back? Why isn't God just like doing, you know, why isn't God just 
blowing this church up. Why is it? Why are we having just thousands of people come to church? Well, look, I don't know why, but I know that God knows why. And if God is restraining, hey, I'm just gonna. You know what I'm gonna do? While I wait on the Lord, I'm just gonna wait on the Lord. You know what I'm gonna do while I'm waiting for God to do what He's gonna do? I'm just gonna serve God. I'm just gonna say, God, you need something more. You need that drink refilled. I'll refill that for you. It's like a good waiter. Oh, you, you, need, you need more chips there for your salsa? I'm going to need more chips, God. While I'm waiting on God, I'm just going to wait on God. And that's really what Sarah should have been doing. While she was waiting on God, she should have just been waiting on God. And you know, I love our church because in our church, we've got some people that love to serve. You know, uh, Carol and Miss Hudson, they're always trying to do something. They're always trying to cook something. They're always trying to, you know, make you fat and bring you all this good food. And they're always waiting on you and they're always serving. Hey, praise the Lord. Keep it up. Because while we're waiting on God... Let's just go ahead and wait on God. And let's serve God. And let's not proceed when God is restraining. If we can acknowledge that God is restraining, let's let Him do what He's going to do. Let's bow our heads and have a word. Dear Heavenly Father, we love You, Lord, so much.